Mac Power Users, episode 552, HomeKit in 2020 with Micah Sargent. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, my friend? Doing well. I'm excited. We have a guest today. One of my favorite, don't tell the others, but he's one of my favorite people on the internet. Uh, (laughs) uh, It's true. It's true, Micah. I love you very much. Um, uh, But we will will get to Micah in a second because... It's uh, it's September, so I want to talk about St. Jude for a second, if that's okay. Yeah. So this September, Relay FM is supporting St. Jude Children's Research Hospital uh, during Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. That's uh, September. It's why if you go to the website or you notice in the Mac Power Reserve show art, that gold up in the corner, that is to mark Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And, you know, you think, well, childhood cancer, that's probably pretty rare, right? Well, it's it's the leading cause of death by disease for children under the age of 15. And cancer treatment for children is is complicated. There's there's transfusions, physical therapy, occupational therapy. There's a lot of stuff. And St. Jude takes care of these kids and their families uh, by providing the best care and not charging them a dime for it. So if you want to support St. Jude, which means the world to so many families, including mine, uh, my oldest son is a cancer survivor, thanks to St. Jude. Uh, he is in fifth grade and doing great. Uh, to join us in this, you can go to stjude.org slash relay and, uh, and give there. And there's some milestones there. So as we raise money, Mike and I and some other people are doing like live streams and different things. So come join the fun. Uh, September is going to be a special time here at Relay. Amen. Uh, I'm going in. You guys should go into one of the things I love about the Mac Power Users audience is that they always step up for the St. Jude Pledge Drive each year. And I know this year will be no different. I know it is a hard year for a lot of people. And I understand that, you know, if you can't afford it, that's okay. But if you can, please help out a little bit. Thanks. All right. So like we said, we are joined by our friend Micah Sargent today. Micah, how are you? I am doing well. Very excited to talk. Anytime I get to talk about HomeKit is is a good day. So I, I appreciate you both inviting me on to do just that. I found myself this morning thinking about the show because we've been doing a lot of prep for this one. I've downloaded a bunch of apps and I'm angering my entire family as I try automations <laughs> out. And the um, I was thinking, you know, HomeKit is something I look forward to now. At the beginning, it was something I dreaded, you know, because it was so kind of broken the first year or two. But man... Uh, there's a lot to uh, like about HomeKit these days. I'm really looking forward to getting the deep dive out of Micah today. Mm-hmm. So for Micah, for anyone out there who may not be familiar with you uh, and your work, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah. So my name is Micah Sargent, as uh, they've definitely told you. But um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, my if If my brand were something that existed. It would be uh, that I'm a dog dad. I have two chihuahuas, uh, a boy chihuahua purebred named Henry and a girl chihuahua rat terrier mix named Mizzy. And they've gone with me from multiple places in Missouri to where I live now here in Northern California. Um, I am a producer and host on the twit.tv network, uh, where I host iOS Today, Smart Tech Today, 
Tech News Weekly and Hands on iOS. Uh, those are four weekly shows, uh, as well as Clockwise right here on Relay FM. And yeah, I mean, that that kind of covers, I'm, I'm a podcaster first and foremost at this point. I was a uh, consumer tech journalist before, and before that I was a news anchor and sort of all-around journalist and video editor for a company called Newsy. Uh, and yeah, I think that, I think that covers it. Yeah. You and I have been friends for a long time and it's been fun to watch your career shift from writing for the web and, and now moving into podcasts and and working with twit. Um, I don't know how you do four weekly shows. I just do two (laughs) weekly shows and it feels (laughs) some weeks it feels like a lot. Um, I'm always, I've always been impressed with your output and, uh, when we want to talk about HomeKit, you were the person because uh, you have spent a lot of time looking at this. And as we get into it, I think the listeners will uh, will definitely recognize that, that you are uh, definitely an authority on this. Um, but before we, we go much further, we like to ask people, this is kind of a hybrid episode, I should say. It's like Mike is here as a guest, but also at like helping us work through HomeKit. So it's kind of a, a fun mix today. Uh, but before we go much further, what is your uh, what's your Mac setup like these days? Yeah, so my Mac setup, I have um I, I technically have two MacBook Pros, but the one that I use all the time was one that I got when I first started working at, at Twit. It's a, a 2019 15-inch MacBook Pro. That means it's got the touch bar and the old keyboard. Uh the keyboard has not yet, let me just knock on this bamboo that's all around me, has not <laughs> yet uh, failed. And I hope to keep it that way. Uh it's the 2.3 gigahertz eight core. Uh, Intel Core i9. I needed the discrete graphics because I do video editing and stuff like that. Um, you know, normal storage and memory options was 16 gigabytes of memory. Uh, but the way that I use it is connected to two Dell UltraSharp monitors. And if there was one tip that I would give to anyone who has a MacBook Pro with Thunderbolt displays, it would be that save your money or use the current money that you have and just go buy the CalDigit Thunderbolt Station 3, also known as the CalDigit TS3 Plus uh, dock, because I have never been more happy with a docking solution in the entire history of my use of the Mac. It is... you. Know, there was this promise, this this uh, belief that you could have a uh, laptop and that you could plug it in with one cable and have everything connected to it just work. And that was a promise that no one has been able to actually hold to. None of the devices have, I've ever had, none of the docks that I've had, I've ever been able to get them to actually do that. So I got the CalDigit TS3 Plus because I'd heard good things about it, plugged that bad boy in, and it, I literally have one cable running into my MacBook Pro right now, and I've got gigabit Ethernet. I've got my uh, uh, Mix Pre Mark Mix Pre Three Mark Two. I've got uh, an Elgato. Uh, what is that called? The Stream Deck, and mm-hmm. just a bunch of different stuff, and it's all connected via the CalDigit TS3 Plus by one cord, and it actually works. And yes, my MacBook Pro is also plugged in and charging via that cord as well. It is amazing. I am so happy with it, and so impressed with what CalDigit made. Uh, and I think that like. I feel like I need to go out to the world and, and shout this out just because I think other people would be happy with his docking solution as well. That's the one you got too, Stephen, right? 
yeah, I do. And it, it is absolutely fantastic. You know, Thunderbolt is kind of a weird beast, right? It's the world is still mostly USB and it means that we have fewer options as Thunderbolt users. But yeah, it's it's absolutely fantastic. It is it is pricey, but it's a situation where you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. Genuinely. Yeah, I, I have the Anchor hub unit as well. They had a really, it's a new device and they had a really good like entry point deal. So I got it very cheap and I've only been using it about a month, but it, it is nice having a hub or a dock on your, on your desk, even if you're not using a laptop, because it just gives you so many additional ways to plug in power and memory cards. And we just are always running out of ports, even when we're on a, um, on a desktop machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's kind of amazing. You think that oh no, I'll never fill up all those ports, and then you look back and oh golly, I'm I need to unplug something to plug in. But yeah, any kind of dock that helps uh, cut back on that is one that I enjoy, and it, it reminds me of uh, having the what was it the it was first the cinema display, and then it became what was the Apple's the, yeah the th- they had one called the Thunderbolt display used Thunderbolt the two connector. Yep, that's the one. It had a really weird cable. Yeah, the like little power extra and dongle on it. Yeah. Yeah, Apple's tried that for years. I mean, well, now they're out of the business. But when they were making monitors uh, for normal people to buy, it was, yeah, like <laughs> even way back in the day, like go way back, you know, they tried ADC. So you'd have like USB and power and video all over one cable. And and then they moved to these later displays, like the Thunderbolt display. They, they've definitely tried this several times. But, you know, even with a desktop setup or, or you know, even someone like you, Micah, who's using a notebook, effectively using it like a desktop when it's mm-hmm. at your desk, having, you know, cables managed where you're not plugging in three or four or five things when you sit down really makes this a lot nicer. Oh, it's I, I'm very, very happy with it. Sometimes I know it's so silly, but sometimes I'll just unplug, plug back in, unplug, plug back in a couple of times just to go. It really works. <laughs> so, Micah, do you use your do you use your laptop in clamshell, or do you have the screen open when you're using it? So, I started. I had it in clamshell. So, here's this kind of re- requires a little bit of a of a understanding of my psyche. Um, before I moved to California, I you know took my desk and I had it all set up. I had a I had a three bedroom home in Missouri that cost far less in yeah. rent than what my two bedroom uh, home here in in California or two bedroom townhome here in California cost. But at that place, you know, I had my office and nothing ever had to move. It was just the office, fully the office. And so I had a setup where uh, my my MacBook Pro could be in clamshell mode and out of the way and be very nice. But when I moved here, I needed to kind of get things set up as a temporary measure before I sort of locked in the way that I wanted my office to be. And that is a thing that I told myself not to do, but I did anyway, because I knew once I got it up, set up, got it set up in the temporary way, I was probably going to leave it that way for quite a while before I sort of had the activation energy required to set it up how I really, really wanted it. And so now, uh, about a year and a month after I moved here, it is still in that sort of setup, uh, meaning that I don't have my MacBook Pro in clamshell mode. I have it sort of sitting, it's in the middle of the desk. And I realized that 
I, even though it shouldn't need to be that way, three monitors is better than two monitors. And I kind of don't want to oh undo boy. that. So yeah, <laughs> oh <boy>. exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's cool. The um, I, I do feel like, you know, it's very popular to say Apple is all about the money, but it is interesting to me like the businesses that they walk away from, mm-hmm. you know, the, um, like the on desk port hub thing, if they made one with an Apple logo on it, people would buy it. Um, you know, the, uh, the books, you know, the picture books that they used to make, that was a multi-million dollar business. Oh, those were so good. Multi-million dollar business. They just walked away from it. They, the, or the monitors, like the reasonably priced monitor. It's just, I, I do get sometimes it seems like they're cheap, but also at other times it's like, Man, they're just like walking away from a lot of money with some of these opportunities. Mm-hmm. Have either of you used the LG monitors that Apple partnered up with to to make? Yeah, um, they're they're pretty good actually. I mean, the, yeah, like the case design isn't fantastic, but what I like about it is that it works with the brightness controls and the colors are really good. It's the same panel as the 5K iMac. It doesn't have the glass in front of it. It's still glossy, but it's not quite as as shiny maybe as the iMacs. Honestly, it's 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 sad that Apple doesn't make one, but I think the LG is a perfectly fine, acceptable replacement. It still has sort of the the hub setup that you know you can use it as mm-hmm. uh, as your hub as well as the monitor, which I think is if I was going to go for one, though that's definitely been the one that I've I've looked at as uh, a replacement option for these Dells as they get older, and um, I guess I get older and my eyes get older, and all of that happens. But uh, yeah, I, I wish that and and with uh, Wi Fi as well. I um I have a Airport Extreme uh, connected in bridge mode to my main Eero setup uh, specifically so that I can connect. 2.4 gigahertz only smart devices to my network because of Eero's way of, of broadcasting as 2.4 and 5 gigahertz simultaneously. Uh, there are some devices that can't quite figure out the smarts there. And so I have uh, basically just it, it, my SSID is just appended with a number two. And I know that that's the 2.4 gigahertz network that the Airport Extreme is using. And when I got that out and plugged it in and set it up, I was reminded of how easy it is to use the airport utility. And it made me kind of miss uh, that because I used to use that as my main network. And it made me kind of miss Apple's foray into networking. Yeah, agreed. Now, Micah, you had a mansion in Missouri. (laughs) (laughs) And you came out to California. And so for the same price of your Missouri mansion, you probably got like a closet in (laughs) In Northern California. True. And then we get uh, a pandemic and we get wildfires. Are you still feeling good about this move? Oh, David, I um, I like to tease uh, Leo and Lisa, my, my bosses at, at Twit all the time, um, about moving me here. Because there's a, a, on top of those things, there's another little tidbit here in Sonoma County. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the Sonoma Aroma, uh, but... Basically, what happens is as the the winemakers are growing their grapes and as uh, different farmers are growing their crops, they make this excellent slurry of water and cow dung and yeah. they spray it all over everything. And so when it is when it's morning and it's a little bit chilly and there's the fog in the air, that fog picks up that 
uh, delicious scent and spreads yeah, it yeah. throughout the whole area. And yeah. oh boy, the Sonoma aroma, fantastic. Uh, yeah, we, we, we have that too. When I grew up, I grew up right near Chino, California, which is a dairy farmer's heaven. Oh, and well, you can imagine when the wind was blowing right in the mornings, you had a great smell to wake up to. Ugh. Well, oh, but but at least, uh, what is it? The garlic capital of the world is up there. Um, I forget. Somebody is banging their head against their steering yeah, wheel going, right now. Don't you know? I, I don't know the garlic capital. Uh, it'll come to me in a few minutes, but I, I love driving. It's up in Northern Cal. I love driving through that city and just smelling all the garlic. But anyway, so you moved out there, but now you're stuck working from home. So how's that going? <laughs> yeah. So uh, before I moved, I was uh, working from home and I was kind of excited to get back into an office. Um, I found myself, you know, when I was working from home at the time, sort of making excuses for not getting out, not uh, hanging out with friends and things like that. It's very easy to become a hermit when you work from home all the time. Uh, at least for me, it was. And I was kind of looking forward to undoing that a little bit and it was working. Um, but then the pandemic hit and that was the thing that really pushed us to be working from home. And so I was a little bummed out about that, to be honest with you, uh, at, at the start, but it, there is a convenience to it for sure. Um, one of the biggest things that's been challenging is you, of course, because I had been doing podcasts before, I already had a pretty high quality setup for home. But Twit, along with doing audio podcasts, we produce video shows, both podcasts and uh, you know versions that go up on YouTube. And so that is a factor. Um, when I worked for iMore, we did the iMore show and that included a video portion. So I had, you know, a, a good quality webcam. I had some lights for my studio and I kind of just had to figure out how to get things rearranged and set up how I wanted to. Um, and what's been fun is that over time I've improved upon my setup. I've got, uh, an Elgato stream deck now that I use. I, know the absolute ins and outs of the Ecamm Live app. And when I do my show iOS today, I can pull up my phone live on screen and, uh, you know, push buttons and show off apps and all that kind of thing. My iPad can be on the screen too. I set up a camera so that I can show my Apple Watch on my wrist and sort of switch to that. So I'm doing all my own live switching and, uh, kind of that side of production, all from my home setup, uh, I recently added, I don't know if you've heard of the Blackmagic Design ATEM Mini, but essentially what it does is it takes HDMI inputs and lets you switch between them. And then it has USB-C out and it tells the computer that you connect it to that it is a webcam. And so you can uh, effectively use a very high quality camera that has HDMI out, which is most high quality cameras, as well as I, I can plug in an Apple TV into it. I can plug in, um, if I wanted to, instead of just doing direct from Ecamm Live, I could use a, an Apple dongle to do HDMI out of an iPad or an iPhone. Uh, basically anything that's that can be HDMI, you plug into it and then it shows up as a webcam option on your Mac. So that's been kind of fun adding that kind of that level of hardware to the system. And it's got, you know, fade to black and, and green screen keyers built into it. And it's essentially creating a full production studio in my home, uh, in my office. And as challenging as that has all been, 
it's been really fun. Um, I just added the uh, Elgato key light to my system, which is a, a Wi-Fi connected light uh, LED light panel. And it's very bright, very good quality. Uh, but I just learned, I have some friends who, you know, work in uh, video production and television production in Hollywood. And one of them was telling me that a lot or some of the production studios actually hire a person who is just in charge of running the video calls that they do. So you could think of them as like a, a Zoom maestro or a, a Skype or Google <laughs> Hangouts maestro. And these people get paid to just mute people, unmute people, switch between people. And so he was kind of like, I can't believe that along with actually hosting your show, you're also switching and doing all of that stuff too, because that alone is a job in and of itself. So I think it's just resulted in me having to put on more hats than I normally would. And uh, because I've kind of worked for startups for years I'm uh, sort of well equipped to be to be switching through different hats and kind of used to that whole experience. So uh, it's it's been fun and challenging all at the same time, and kind of a reminder that if I've got to learn something new and figure out how to do a thing, then I will do my best to make that happen so that we can keep on keeping on. Because you know, I, I definitely uh, understand that some folks unfortunately, have uh, lost their jobs in this time. And so I feel blessed to still have mine. And if it means just putting on a couple more hats to keep it, then by golly, that's what I'll do. Yeah, this black magic device is really intriguing. So it's got, what is it, five inputs on it? That's a lot. It's it's four inputs, and the fifth one is just a program. So it, you you connect it to an HDMI monitor, and it'll show you what is happening live from the yeah. uh, from the HDMI. That's nice. I something a little less extreme. I just recently bought an Elgato Camlink, yeah, uh, one of those little devices. That's a they have the 4K one now, and I just did that. I did a webinar, and the camera was you know pretty terrible. You know the cameras built in our Macs are. So I decided <laughs> next time I do one of these, and just in general, I'm doing so much video conferencing. What if I had my fancy Sony camera connected to my Mac? And man, that's a game changer. Um, but I only, I really only need one input, but, but this, um, black magic stuff is always great, but it's also kind of expensive, right? I mean, but it's pricey, but this is actually not bad for everything that it does. I mean, when you say black magic board, I'm thinking thousands and this is under a thousand dollars. Yeah. They've, uh, they've certainly kind of wisened up to the fact that there is a market out there for streamers is kind of what they are showing or, or what they call, you know, influencers, people that are doing some cooking show on YouTube live or something like that. And so, yeah, the ATEM minis are reasonably priced, uh, depending on what you need. And, you know, again, that one of the fun things is working from home for a company uh, means that the company is <laughs> kind of footing the bill there. So that's yeah. been nice that I'm not having to pay for that. But I want to talk about something, too, since you mentioned sort of using um, the Sony camera in place. And I know it's something that uh, Relay has talked about. Uh, some I can't remember exactly. I remember seeing that there was a show that was talking about this app, but um I recently came across this because of my co-host Matthew Casanelli for Smart Tech Today had mentioned it, and it is an incredible app uh, called Reincubate Camo, and it lets you connect your uh, iPad or iPhone to your Mac over USB, uh, you know, from from 
lightning to, to USB and actually converts your iPhone or iPad into a webcam. And there's a free version and a paid version. I, I got the paid version so that I could try out all the different features and settings. And I use this now. Um, I mentioned that Apple Watch camera. What that is, is an iPhone that I have set up with the tripod that's focused in one area. And there are, you know, five or six different apps out there that that claim to be able to show your iPhone's webcam as, or iPhone's camera as a webcam. And they all have different ways of doing it. And some of them feel grosser than others, installing special extensions and things like that. Reincubate Camo does it in such a clean and precise way. And it feels like the most direct connection uh, that you can get without Apple making its own app to turn your iPhone into a webcam, iPhone or iPad into a webcam. I've been very impressed with it. Uh, updates come all the time, and it works with you know with Skype, with Zoom, with Google Meet, with the big ones and the little ones like the horrible, horrible Blue Jeans, um, Ecamm Live, etc. So it works across a bunch of different platforms, and I mean you can change focus and shutter speed and, and change all sorts of things. And they try to offload as much of that processing onto your iPhone or iPad so that your Mac is not spinning up its fans. So that helps too. So yeah, if, if people are looking for a way, if they've only got the <laughs> crappy, crappy webcam that's built into their MacBook or uh, iMac or what have you, uh, check out Reincubate Camo as a way to use your iPhone or iPad as the webcam instead. It's pretty powerful. Yeah, I'll plus one that. I also have Camo. And the thing that Micah said that I really want to emphasize is you have complete control over your phone's camera from the app. And it's just great being able to set that with the on your Mac and having the phone react. It's, it's an impressive app. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Go to SaneBox.com slash MPU and get $25 off any plan and stop drowning in email. Every once in a while, people start talking about how are we going to change email? Well, guess what? SaneBox has already done that and it can work with any email client that you have. Whether you're on Gmail or IMAP or iCloud, it doesn't matter. SaneBox works with all of those services. SaneBox learns what email is important to you and filters out what isn't, saving you hours. It works with all kinds of email program services, so you don't have to get a special app or a special domain. And great email filtering is there for you every day with SaneBox. They have things like the Sane Later folder, so it puts stuff that's not as important in the Later folder, leaving your inbox for what truly matters. They also have the same black hole. You put an email in there and you never see anything from that sender again. And perhaps my favorite feature in SaneBox is reminders. Whenever you send an email, you can carbon copy or blind copy it out to a specific date or period of time, like one week at SaneBox.com. And if the receiver doesn't reply in a week, you get a reminder in a week to follow up so you can pick up on any loose threads. This is such a better way to handle email inquiries rather than put it in your task manager and try and track it separately. But SaneBox is more than just filtering. You can also automatically move attachments to Dropbox or other cloud services and then have something like Hazel auto-sort those for you. And they've got various pricing plans starting as low as $4 a month. There's a 14-day free trial. If you go to SaneBox.com MPU, you get a $25 credit on any plan. They love MPU listeners because we subscribe. The MPU listeners try this out. They realize how good it is. 
you should try it too. Once again, that's samebox.com slash MPU to receive that $25 credit on any plan. So thank you, Samebox, for helping me manage my email and your support of the Mac Power users. All right, so let's get into HomeKit. Uh, David, like you said in the beginning, HomeKit's been around for several years. And like a lot of Apple's sort of platform level technology, because HomeKit is kind of its own platform in, in a weird way, it started out slow, right? It started out pretty simple, but over the years, it's gotten much more powerful and more broad in terms of what sort of things you can do with it. Um, but from a basic standpoint, it's it's effectively control of smart devices with your Apple products. So whether it be your iPhone or watch or HomePod, a lot of this stuff works directly with Siri or shortcuts. You can have uh, devices around your home respond to just a tap on your phone as opposed to going to find a light switch or being able to automate something instead of using I – mean, I'm sure people out there remember my parents had one. Uh, they wanted a lamp in the front window to come on at a certain time. And there was this giant plug. You plugged it into the wall and had a dial. <laughs> and there were little switches that you set to in or out. And then it would like click, click, click around every hour and tell the light to come on or off. HopeKit is like that, but for the digital age. <laughs> Pretty good, right? Yeah, I like that comparison. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that's bummed me out is that the narrative that existed in the in the beginning of HomeKit has in many ways uh, sort of held up. So when HomeKit first came out, there was the conversation about how it was uh, a, too walled off. It was hard to get your devices integrated with HomeKit. There weren't that many HomeKit-enabled devices out there. Um, even the big players didn't have a place in HomeKit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And those complaints among the uh, the tech area, the, the consumer tech journalist section of the internet, uh, kind of stayed around. And to this day, uh, it can be interesting you say HomeKit around certain people and they still think that it is uh, what it was. And honestly, there have been so many improvements and additions and integrations that that narrative needs to go away because it's simply not true uh, as it once was. And yeah, I think that what what you kind of touch on there, uh, it is essentially the digitization of automation and control. uh, But it is it is apple's answer to the question of how in the world do i add different devices to my home that can connect to the internet or can connect over bluetooth to you know sort of a a, a hub or a bridge how do i control all of those without having to launch a bunch of different apps and access them there or set up special control panels in my home to access all of them And how do I do that in a way that is as secure as I can make it and as privacy uh, forward as I can make it and still have it be easy to do? Uh, One of my favorite things that Apple did when it set up the... uh, So 
people know about the made for iPhone program a lot more than they know about some of these other ones. But the made for iPhone program is a, an agreement that takes place between a manufacturer and Apple uh, to follow a certain set of guidelines and to use certain types of components and to uh, agree to certain things in order to get that certification and also be able to market their product as made for iPhone or made for iOS or made for Apple Watch. And HomeKit also has uh, a a way. It used to be HomeKit enabled was the sort of tag phrase, and now it's works with Apple HomeKit. And in order to have that badge, one of my favorite things that Apple said you have to be able to do is you must be able to set up a HomeKit enabled or works with Apple HomeKit device using the Home app, meaning that you don't you should be able to take that product home plug it into the wall or however you set it up turn it on give it put, put some batteries in it turn it on launch the home app for iOS hit the plus button in the top right corner choose add accessory and then be able to add it to your home why is that important well that means that you can circumvent the whole idea of setting up an account and online access and all of these things uh, from that third party that then ties you to that product. So it's very privacy forward in that way. And it's it, again, that guideline, I think, is so important when it comes to setting up your devices. And it informs so much of what we're going to talk about here with HomeKit versus some of those other platforms. Now, on this issue of privacy, when they first released it, and you can fill in for me here, because I just kind of have a vague understanding. But they were requiring the privacy protection to be hardwired into HomeKit branded devices. Mm -hmm. But at some point, and I guess that's one of the reasons why there was such a lack of new hardware for it, because that was a lot of work. Uh, but at some point, they turned it into a software encryption. Can you explain what that means and whether we should be worried? Yeah, so this is a really interesting uh, uh, sort of change, I think. But it's a change that uh, from the outside may look like more than it actually is. Um, essentially, in the beginning, Apple had set up a, a bunch of different sort of, uh, not warehouses, but but labs where developers, manufacturers who wanted to make uh, works with Apple HomeKit devices, they would send their product to that lab, the lab would test it, and then it would get that certification that's required to work with HomeKit and to be able to market your product as such. And part of the, you know, just think of it like a bunch of checkboxes. You had to do this, you had to do this, you had to do this. And one of the things on the list was that you had to use uh, a special chip that let uh, that, that did all of the encryption. Um, I'm not going to get super into detail about the encryption, but it's like <laughs> it's it's encrypted to talk to the device, encrypted to talk back to the device, and those keys that are encrypted have to change uh, all the time. And it's it's kind of like it, it is as encrypted as uh, these devices can get. And so uh, there were two reasons for this. One is that it's more secure, but two. The reason why Apple said use our chip is because it was easier to do that than to try to make that happen yourself. So if you want to meet our requirements, just go ahead and get this chip. That'll do all of the hard work for you. And then you can make your device. Uh, Apple at some point said, okay, here's the deal. Um, even though it's super simple, if you just use our chip, we realize that you know, you may have devices that already exist on the market, or you may be working on devices that are coming soon, and you've got your own idea uh, for how you want to manufacture it. Let's do software authorization of it instead. And 
what that means is that if you've got talented uh, developers and, and manufacturers who can create the level of encryption that's needed without using that chip that Apple made available, then do it. And that's fine. But what didn't change were the requirements and guidelines for encryption. Those stayed the same. It said, even if you're using your own stuff, you still need to meet this requirement. It's just that you don't have to kind of, quote unquote, take the easy way out by using the chip that we provide, that, that we've you know made available. And what that meant is that a lot of the big players think of, um, uh, oh goodness, why can't I think of it now? Belkin, the, uh, what is it? Belkin's like main uh, smart devices. Waymo, Waymo. Um, so with Waymo or Wemo, however you pronounce it, uh, those have existed on the marketplace forever. And originally they released a hub that would let you work with HomeKit, but then they've got the the necessary smarts in place. That's why Waymo, Wemo devices ended up working just uh, sort of intrinsically with, with HomeKit because they could prove that they were still meeting those certifications necessary when it came to encryption. A lot of the smaller players, though, it's so much easier for them to just buy and use the chip and install that than it is to get this working uh, on their own. And then there's also the matter of with these low power, super low power devices, that chip was made to be to barely sip on on power and using your own system of trying to do that, especially over software. If you've got a uh, a, a battery and you're doing it software-wise instead of hardware-wise, it's going to be hitting that battery a lot harder. So a lot of manufacturers came to understand that, hey, if we want to make a low-power device that lasts you know, six months, a year, it's probably easier to just use that chip that does the encryption in order to meet the requirements to work with Apple's HomeKit. And now, how does these encryption standards compare with offerings from, you know, the Amazon and the Google home stuff, are they similar? I, I just haven't really kept up with the competitors because I'm all in with HomeKit at this point. Yeah, so th- that's it's kind of complicated because different companies have their um, their super in depth like white pages uh, published, and some don't. And the requirements for them are are certainly different, but you've got encryption across the board. You know, they're all doing uh, some form of encryption and whether they're doing, what is it? The pseudo random uh, key generation at every, uh, at every meet is kind of unknown in terms of, of how Apple does it, which is that, uh, that, that shift of the key every time there's a new conversation between the device and the, uh, the hub versus Amazon and the other. And I think that, you know the bigger difference between these these systems at least at first is where those communications are taking place uh because that plays a role in how uh the these systems work and how safe and secure they are uh if it's happening on the local area or the local area network or if it's happening in the wide area network in other words across the internet and that has played a role in uh the simplicity of communication and the simplicity of integration. That is kind of the main reason why Amazon at the get-go had so many different smart devices working with it, because there was not as much that needed to take place on a local uh, hardware level in terms of encryption and communication. 
because essentially, you know, you put the the chip inside that that detects the humidity in the air and, you know, the little module inside that detects the humidity and the temperature in the air. And then you add a Wi-Fi chip to it. And then the rest of it can just happen on the Internet. You send it off to uh, communicate with Amazon's server, which then talks to the Echo, which then goes back up and talks down to the device. And that's a lot easier to do than to make this work without any connection to the Internet and having to do that processing on a local level. So, so the good news is we can turn on your air conditioning. The bad news is someone in Genovia can as well. <laughs> exactly. Or there's at least more of a chance that someone in Genovia can as well. Exactly. All right. Um, now, I want to bring this back to HomeKit a little bit because there's another area that I know a lot of listeners are confused about. And it's like there's all this talk about the role of a HomeKit hub. Apple doesn't sell a HomeKit hub, right? But uh, if you start using HomeKit devices, you get these messages saying, oh, you want to turn off your lights when you're not at home. You need a hub. Can you explain how that all fits into the HomeKit ecosystem? Yeah. So this is funny. I was just talking to... Uh friend of friend of mine friend of the internet dan sturm the other day about this exact setup um so it's it's more recent in my head it, it's it, depending on if you're talking to a pedant or not it may be inaccurate to say that, that apple uh, doesn't sell a home hub they don't sell a single purpose home hub but what they do sell are apple tvs home pods and ipads and those devices can all be home hubs i find it fascinating that at some point, Apple stopped kind of mentioning the iPad as a home hub, but folks, it is still a home hub. And I don't know if it's because they're wanting you to think of the iPad as a more portable device, maybe, than an at-home device or what's going on there. But at some point, the marketing team stopped saying uh, your iPad is a home hub whenever they're talking about these. What is a home hub, though? Well, you can think of it as kind of the... the it's a little bit of, of it's a brain for your home setup, and it is a way to communicate with your devices at home while you're outside of the home. If you do not have a home hub, you can still have a home kit setup. And that just means that while you are at home, you can launch the home app on your iPhone and you can control the lights in your home. You can unlock your door. You can uh, turn off the I don't know, but the the fan, all those kinds of things. But whenever you leave your home, you won't have access to those things because you don't have that communication happening across your router on the local area network. A home hub gives you the ability to communicate with those devices even when you're away. So I'm going to talk about the iPad as uh, as the main one because that was the first home hub that I had. If you, on your iPad, launch the settings app, and you scroll down uh, on the left side until you see home, you can see an option that says, use this iPad as a home hub. And if that's turned off and you've got a home kit set up, go ahead and flip that switch on. Uh, as long as your iPad is at home and connected to your local area network, it will serve as a home hub. If you've got a HomePod somewhere plugged in, that will serve as a home hub. You're probably not taking that with you. Uh, and then an Apple TV also serves as a home hub. So I've got all of these devices. Um, I've got two Apple TVs that are home hubs, an iPad, and a HomePod. And they're all kind of doing that while they're at home. And it actually does help to have more devices uh, at, serve as home hubs because of the way that this system works with Bluetooth as well as with uh, internet communications, internet protocols. So 
what this does is if you launch the home app on your iOS device uh, or your tvOS device, then you will see a tab for automation. And I'll just give an example of mine. Um, at, sun, at sunrise, uh, during the day, my porch lights turn off. And at sunset, they turn on again. And if I didn't have a device at home telling those things to do that command, then that automation would not work. So in order to set up those automations, you have to have that device at home to either send a command over your local area network via the router, or if you've got Bluetooth devices, Bluetooth low energy devices typically, then it sends out that Bluetooth low energy command to those devices and tells them to turn on or turn off. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty nice. And, you know, while you have to go in and explicitly set it up with an iPad, my understanding is when you hook up an Apple TV or a HomePod, it's just there for you. Yeah, it's uh, as long as you're logged into the uh, right Apple ID account that sort of set up the home, um, then you have that access. And that's because of the way that Apple has kind of connected the the multi-user setup on Apple TVs and the ability to uh, communicate with Siri with different voices on the HomePod. All of those things sort of exist in this larger umbrella known as Home. And so since those tools kind of all exist there, yeah, those just can come on automatically and work uh, automatically for your HomePod and for your your uh, your Apple TVs. And in fact, if you go into the Home app on iOS and in the top left corner, tap on the little Home icon, it looks like a Home, choose Home Settings, then scroll down, you will see uh, an area called Hubs and Bridges. And then when you tap on Hubs and Bridges, you'll see a list of Home Hubs that are working. And so I can look at these and see which ones are currently connected, which ones are in standby, and which ones are disconnected. And, you know, if there is one that's disconnected, then you could address that issue, especially if you're having trouble with automations. Because I think it was two WWDCs ago, uh, it's either one or two WWDCs ago, Apple improved upon the communications protocols uh, for home hubs so that it would intelligently know which home hub was closest to a Bluetooth LE device and send the commands from that device to the uh, to, from, from that home hub to the device. So you would get it happening faster. The, it happens a lot faster, which is quite nice. Okay, guys, it's time to get real here. When you open up that tab, what number appears to hubs and bridges for you? <laughs> Let's see. Home. I have five. You have five? Yeah. I have 10. You have 10? I have 10. How many yeah. Apple TVs do you have? <laughs> we have them in, well, my kids moved back home because of the pandemic. So we've got two, we got three Apple TVs. We got three home pods and I've got, um, it's also showing up bridges for other devices. So I've got a Yuffie, a smart bridge that I don't use anymore and a Philips Hue bridge here. So I've got a bunch of bridges. Uh, if we're but, tying that into, then I've got seven. So I feel a little right. less, uh, <laughs> a little less out. Oh man. I just have, I just have three. You have three. How many Apple TVs do you have, Steven? I've got one Apple TV and two home pods. So just three. Just three. I'm winning. We cut the cable a long time ago, and Apple TVs really are our interface to the television. Mm-hmm. So I got I got some for my kids, too. Yeah, the Apple TVs are... I 
find those to be um, excellent as as home bridge devices, or excuse me, <laughs> as home hub devices uh, versus iPads, which you may take in and out of the house. Um, and you know the home pit home pit the home pod is okay, but uh, can't really convince everyone to get those. So uh, certainly for me. The Apple TV is kind of my main one. And I can remember back when um, I think it was AT&T right after they bought the streaming service, right after they bought DirecTV, right? Was that who they bought? Um, Whoever they bought, doesn't matter. Point is, they bought the streaming service that that company had. And their promo deal was, if you subscribe for three months, we'll send you an Apple TV for free. And at the time, I only had one Apple TV. And I was like, what? Another home hub in my home? That's fantastic. So I subscribed for three months to whatever the television service was, got that extra home uh, or Apple TV and added it to my setup and uh, have not looked back since. Now, Micah, in this screen, it's an interesting thing. It shows one home hub as connected and the other on standby. So I'm guessing it just picks the one that makes the most sense for the network whenever it's whenever it needs it. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's it's not like an Eero situation where you've got a, a nest of home hubs working in your house. It, only one is working at a time. Yes. Um, and... Well, it's it's kind of when you're outside of the home and you're sending commands, it's a little bit of a different story uh, because that's where it kind of gets smart about knowing which one's closest. So even though it's on, even though you might see some that are on standby, those ones are ready to be the ones sending the commands if they're the closest to uh, the. And, and again, that's for Bluetooth specifically. If they're closest to the Bluetooth LE device, then they will be the one to send the command. This episode of MPU is brought to you by MarsEdit, the premium blog editing app for the Mac. MarsEdit gives you the power to write, preview, and publish to your blog from the comfort of macOS. Save drafts of your posts locally on the Mac, and then fine-tune them until you're ready to share them with the public. MarsEdit works great with WordPress, Micro.blog, Tumblr, and many other services. You know, with most services, you can't even download the entire history of your blog, but MarsEdit lets you do that. So you have a permanent copy of all of your blog posts safely stored on your Mac. I've been using MarsEdit basically forever. 512 Pixels runs atop WordPress, and I really only ever log into WordPress itself when I need to update something. I'd much rather write, preview, edit in a native Mac app, and MarsEdit solves that problem for me perfectly. So get out of the browser and into a beautifully designed Mac app where you can focus on your writing, sharing your thoughts, stories, or artwork with the world. MarsEdit integrates with your Mac's built-in spelling and grammar checker, which if you're like me, you need, and it makes it a snap to browse photos from your Apple Photos library and upload them with your post. MPU listeners can get 20% off the one-time purchase cost of MarsEdit by going to marsedit.com MPU. That's MarsEdit.com slash MPU for 20% off the one-time purchase cost of MarsEdit. Our thanks to MarsEdit for their support of the show and Relay FM. So one of the, the easiest ways to see how far HomeKit has come is to look at its really long accessories page on Apple's website. So this is in the show notes. You can go see it. Apple keeps a, a directory of a whole bunch of accessories that work with HomeKit. I mean, things that I didn't even consider, like I didn't even consider 
faucets, like sink faucets. Like, <laughs> what are you doing, faucet companies? Uh, but there's a whole lot of stuff here, yeah. and it's it's way too much to cover, even if this is all we talked about on the show. But we already talked about some of the pairing stuff, some of the security stuff. Uh, but I thought maybe we could touch on some of what we see as the the more popular or more common items that people may be interested in if they're thinking about making their home a little bit smarter. Let's start with lights. Let's start with lights. I mean, that's that's the that's the gateway drug, right? It, well, I think that yeah, it's a mixture between lights and and plugs as the gateway drug because uh, when I because I've kind of been asked, you know, someone who's first getting into the smart home. I mean, the first thing I say is be careful because once you start, you kind of just can't stop. Uh, but I go between the two lights certainly make you feel like a magician when you are controlling them from your phone. Uh, but a plug is super handy because a lot of people already have things plugged into their walls and they can essentially make those devices smart by adding a plug. Um, I personally recommend, and it is something that, uh, you know, you, you folks have mentioned here in the the notes and that is the Philips hue, or I guess it's, what is it? Signify hue, um, lights, because those are one of the oldest players in the space and therefore kind of most, um, most well-known and, and most well-integrated, so to speak, uh, devices that are in uh, the market. But it is a system that you can just rely on to, to work and work how you need it to. Um, if you're thinking about getting into the smart home, you might as well, if you're going to go for lights, I, I think that it's worth making the investment in the bridge uh, that connects to your router and using that as the the basic setup. But yeah, I mean, whether you buy the Philips Hue white, the Philips Hue uh, ambience or the Philips Hue white and color ambience bulbs, uh, you are going to get a system that's a lot of fun to play around with at the very least and lets you do all sorts of things and um like the the automation that I talked about earlier, where at night the lights come on and in the daytime the lights go off. Uh, Hugh, Philips Hue knows what it's doing and does it well. I think the one place where I see people make what I consider to be a bit of a mistake is buying the Philips Hue light strip. Um, something that's always bugged me about the light strip is that it only lets you do one color at a time, meaning that it does millions of colors. You can change it to millions of colors, but across the entire light strip, it remains that one color. Whereas LifeX, uh, which is kind of an up and coming light, smart light company, makes a light strip that has different zones of color. So you can do, I think it's up to eight zones in one strip. So each of those different zones can have a color on them and you can animate it across. So it makes this really nice effect. When I was doing the iMore show, uh, I would always set it up with the different colors from the show artwork and it would kind of move in the background as the show was going on. And, you know, you could set up automations to have it change. So if I was doing clockwise and for some reason we we're doing a video version, it would have, you know, yellows and oranges. It's a really, really nice and uh, I think even more, um, uh, it's, it's what is the word I'm looking for? It is priced very well in comparison to what Hue offers. But either of those platforms, I think, are great ones uh, for doing the setup. And I'm curious what you uh, gentlemen have in way of lights. 
I, I was just going to brag about my Hue light strip, and now I feel like, you know, feel bad. I know. I've got three of them in my office. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I, I, I glued a set to this, this strip. My desk is like uh, maybe three quarters of an inch thick, and it's just the perfect width that I, I went around the back of the desk along the edge. So sometimes at night I can give myself a little mood lighting. It's kind of cool. Uh, the thing I like about Hue is, frankly, they have so many different kinds of lights. Mm-hmm. Um, just recently, I got off Amazon one of those, you know, open box specials on a play bar that I've been fiddling with, and I don't know if I'm what I'm actually going to do with it. My, I had to move my studio. I got you know relocated thanks to COVID, and the room I'm in is great during the day. It's got wide open windows, so I've got a lot of light. And at night, there's not a lot of lighting in that room, so. I've been kind of playing with the hue lights for that, but I um I didn't go too far down the hue rabbit hole because I feel like the switches is where the battle is won, and we'll I guess we'll talk about that in a minute. But but the lights I do have are hue, but now I'm going to, have to take a look at LifeX next time I need to update. I do want to before Stephen you go. I will say um I do have a hue light strip, and I can talk in a minute about that. I'm curious to hear more about Stephen's setup lights wise before I, I explain why uh, there is a place for it. I just for someone who's getting started. I think that they'll have a lot more fun uh, with the LifeX light strip because of the way that it does the color blending and multiple zones across the the spectrum. It's it's a little bit different. And if you've got your HomeKit set up already, then you can control it all from within the HomeKit app. So there's not any sort of uh, uh, split that happens where you have to open one app to do one thing and another app to do the other. Uh, and that, that makes it fun. But Stephen, you mentioned you've got a light strip. What else you got lights-wise? Yeah, I've got three Hue light strips, one on each shelf where I've got my collection on display. And then I've I've got the Hue, just the white bulbs, uh, two lamps on my desk, one on either side. And it, I can adjust the color temperature in those. I normally keep my office like daylight temperature, but if I'm working at night, I can I can warm them up. And then a, a handful of the actually, I think they're the original. I've had them a really long time. The Hue bulbs that I can change colors and I have those in, in a couple uh, light fixtures in the office. If I, if I want to show a splash of color on a wall or something for a video or for photos, I can do that. But uh, the thing that is really, uh, for me, I think taken over from Hue it is the the smart plugs. The idea that I can just have a plug and it turns any old lamp into a HomeKit device. Uh, that That's pretty awesome. I've got a bunch of those running around um, I use eye devices. Um, yes. Um, and it is, uh, you know what good is. It is good. I also have some of the older, the iHome ones, but, mm-hmm. uh, my more recent ones are these eye devices and I've, I've been happy with them. Good, good. The, the one that I wanted to mention, uh, as far as the Philips Hue light strip, it's great for in the category of entirely unnecessary, but entirely fun is I own the Play HDMI sync box. Uh, it is made by Philips Hue. And what it lets you do is plug in HDMI devices that then connect to your television. And it syncs up the chosen lights that you want with what is playing on your television. And so it makes for kind of a, it almost makes it feel like you're 
more in the theater or something because the lights that are surrounding the television uh, will take on the colors that are actually on the television itself. So it's just more you're drawn in and you I I thought at first it was going to be really gimmicky and silly and not interesting. uh, But I tried it out and I was watching uh, my partner and I were doing a Star Wars marathon with it. And it was so much fun. Uh, So I've got behind my entertainment center, I've got a Philips Hue light strip. And then I have two Philips Hue uh, play bars, one on the left and one on the right. And those were chosen as what's called the entertainment zone uh, in the Philips Hue play HDMI app. And my Apple TV and my partner's Xbox are connected to the HDMI sync box, which then is connected to the television. And it will, as you watch, sync up the lighting with what you're watching on television. And so if, uh, for example, someone's yellow lightsaber uh, hits kind of the edge of the left side of the TV, then the play bar on that side will turn yellow. And if, uh, you know, someone's brown pant leg uh, steps near the right side of the frame, then the right side of the frame will turn, uh, the lights on the right side of the frame will turn brown. And so it's super cool. And it's not as gimmicky as I thought it was going to be and really does kind of draw your eye to the television. And so turn on all the lights, turn off all the lights in the room, except for the Philips Hue uh, ones that you have connected to the sync box. And it is fun. It is fun. It is, uh, again, entirely unnecessary. And the play box is $230. So it is not something that, you know, I recommend as even a necessity or anything close to a necessity. But I've been very impressed with that after kind of being a little bit skeptical of it for sure. I, you know what, we, we are going to have some listeners that are going to get that. And I'm going to be so tempted too because you <laughs> use Star Wars, you evoke Star Wars. I know. I'll have oh, to send boy. you. I'm going to have to send you to my review that I did for Twit because it has uh, some examples of it in in uh, action. <laughs> yeah, well, let's put a link to that in the show notes. I have a question for you as a HomeKit expert. One of my challenges with plugs is my exterior lights. I've got some lights in the backyard that I like to plug in once in a while, but it's very awkward to plug them in. They draw quite a bit of current because they're outdoor lights. And the few times I've tried these outdoor home kit plugs, they just never have the, you know, the, the wattage or the, the bandwidth to, to power those. Are there any outdoor boxes you recommend? Have you experimented with that at all? You're saying that the issue is that the lights themselves are drawing too much power. Yeah. Okay. So that might still be an issue. I would, I was going to recommend, um, iDevices, they make, an outdoor switch that is waterproof. Um, But I'm not sure about the power draw there. I've used them in the past for, uh, and I'll include a link to these as well. When I had my own home and didn't have rules that the, uh, that the apartment (laughs) complex set up, I had, you know, a bunch of lights around uh, the holiday season and it was, uh, that was all controlled by the iDevices outdoor switch. Um, But I don't know. We'll have to look at the uh, specs for this device and see if it could uh, power all of those because that I'm not sure about. Uh, I mean, it's made for outdoor, so one would think that given it's, you know, whatever it might be controlling, it's good. I'd say the one thing that'll be an issue is even if it does work, 
you might get a little bummed out because it does have energy reporting. So it's going to show you how much you're spending on these uh, lights that draw a lot of power. Yeah, so I agree. Lights are the gateway. There's lots of lighting products. We've talked about bulbs, switches, plugs, lots of things. Uh, but as HomeKit has expanded, there are also a lot of other things, including uh, door locks, which is, uh, I don't, I just can't get my head around a HomeKit lock. <laughs> like I've thought about it a lot. I thought about it in particular for my studio, but I'm not sure this is something I want to get into. Uh, am I being, am I just being paranoid? If if the reason you don't want to get into it is because you're worried about someone hacksering your door, then I think that there is a level of paranoia um, that, that exists there. It's more that a key works 100% of the time. <laughs> this is true. And yes. that a uh, Wi-Fi connected device doesn't necessarily do that. That's true and fair. So uh, the good thing is that a lot of these systems are... Uh, set up in such a way that you can still use a key uh, when it fails. Definitely don't at all whatsoever buy a system that locks you out of your home entirely if you don't have a key um, and continue to carry your key with you. Uh, I used to use the August smart lock on mm -hmm. my door um, and I would be using it even here at this rental unit if I could, but the doors here are the ones that are more like hotel doors where when you open the lock or when you turn the handle on the inside, it unlocks the door too. Um, so I can't use a smart lock here. Uh, I like the smart lock for one reason in particular, which also is not kind of attributable to or applicable rather to our current world, which is that when you have guests... Um, even if you're not home, then you can let them into the house. But who has guests right now? Because that would be foolish. So uh, I don't have any kind of need for that and therefore don't use it. But with that said, I think that the smart lock is another area that um, a lot of people can end up finding value in. And even if you don't have the smart lock set up, one that also is uncommon is the smart garage door. Mm -hmm. And that's the one um, when my partner and I were first dating, um, you know, and after we'd gotten to know each other. And so there were a couple of times where he would come over and I was still at work. So he'd kind of watch the dogs. Um, I was able to use the smart garage door opener, give him a, uh, a quote unquote key to the to the garage door app, and then he could open the garage door and come into the house that way. Mm -hmm. um, that's also handy for people who tend to, like myself, uh, be a little bit paranoid, but also forgetful about whether or not they close the garage yes. door after they left the home. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's handy too. The garage door opener thing is is interesting because you can like get, uh, like if you're building new or you have to replace your garage door lift, you know, the lift motor, you can get one that's home kit enabled. Um, there was, I think it's off the market now, Insignia, which is like Best Buy's home brand. They had a Wi-Fi garage door controller for HomeKit. I, I reviewed it and I and everyone told me, you're going to get six months into it and it's going to start freaking out. And turns out I got six months into it and it started freaking out. Uh, oh, no. So I, I, you know, and I replaced it. was a little like watch battery in, in the sensor. I replaced it and I just, I ended up taking it off the network, but uh, when it's time to replace the the lift motor in our garage, that would definitely be something I look into precisely for the reason you said, like my garage is standalone. It's not, if you get into my garage, you can't get into the house. They're different buildings, gotcha. but I don't know how many times a month 
my wife or I leave and we're like, did we put the garage door down? You know, like, cause like kids are yes. asking for music and like someone spilled something, you know, it's, it's a chaotic time when you leave the house with three children and uh, yeah, having that peace of mind, I guess like home kid is good for that too. Right. Like there's this mm-hmm. whole angle here beyond just ease of use and making things smarter, but yeah, like I, I like knowing that if we're not home, you know, some lights come on and off at these times, or I can look very quickly and see if there's someone at my front door, or if I open the garage door, or I can see the temperature and humidity in my studio. Like all those things give me that peace of mind when I'm away from home, which which used to happen, doesn't happen anymore. But uh, I like that peace of mind, you know. I think that's what it kind of boils down to for a lot of folks, and the the only issue with that is once you have it you kind of want to always have it. And yeah. so losing it kind of stinks. Um, mm-hmm. But but so I've got the... Chamberlain makes a couple of devices. Uh, you can buy a Chamberlain MyQ garage door itself. So the motor, the lift or whatever, and all all of that can be MyQ, which then can be connected to HomeKit using this uh, bridge device. Uh, but they also make a universal garage door. It's essentially a garage door opener, but it is a stationary one, and then it connects to the internet, uh, and then you can communicate with it. So it learns the proper remote frequency of your garage door, and then you keep it connected in the uh, in the garage, and it connects to your router, and then you can talk to it using the router to the, the garage door opener, then it sends out the signal. Um, and that's what I have in my current home, and in, yeah, in this town home, whereas in my last home in Missouri, I actually had the whole lift and everything that was my queue and it was a fantastic system. Uh, so yeah, there are a bunch of different options that are available out there that work well. Uh, and I think that that's fun. I, um, the, the lock thing now is I realize that I don't miss it all that much because in my last home too, the one in Missouri, I hardly ever used my front door, uh, because my garage was attached. And so that was my way of getting into my home. Um, so it didn't come up that often and instead ended up being this thing that, uh, people were kind of in, I noticed they were kind of intimidated by it where they didn't know kind of how to lock and unlock the door. And I had the doorbell too. And a lot of times the person wouldn't even ring the doorbell because they didn't know if they were supposed to push it or not. It didn't look like a normal doorbell. So they ended up sort of knocking on the door instead. And I think that's kind of the interesting place we're in right now where, uh, if you don't live in a place where they are more common or if uh, folks are kind of concerned about showing up on video, which is totally understandable or any number of things, then those smart doorbells and uh, smart locks can be a bit of an issue for folks uh, if it's sort of in your face and uh, a little intimidating with all the chrome that they sometimes have. All right. We're going to get to cameras in a second, but I, so I'm a contrary view. I have a quick set, um, home kit lock on my front door and I love it because we largely do go the, through the front door. We don't go through the garage very often. And, um, uh, the one I have has the quick set key system in it. So I keyed it to my house. So my family that already has keys and doesn't want to screw with technology, nothing changed for them. But it also has a keypad and I've got a code and then I've, it's also got, you know, all the home kit goodness. So like, for instance, my sister had come to our house. She was going to meet us before all of this, you know, I'm holding up air quotes and um, she got there before us like 10 minutes before we did. And I didn't want to leave her on the front door. So I just unlocked the door for my phone 
as we were still traveling back to our house to meet her and she could get in. And that's the kind of stuff you can do when you have an internet connected lock. We talked about this on the show uh, years ago and I was a little hesitant and I got an email from a police officer uh, who's a listener who said, you know, door locks are for the, in, for the honest people. <laughs> He's like, stop sweating it. You know, you're fine. You know, if you want to put one of these on it, you know, if someone wants to get in your house, the fact that you have a smart lock is not going to make it any easier or harder. You know, they're going to get in your house. And, and after that, I, I just kind of went on. And now like when, for instance, when I go and I take the dog for a walk and I don't have to worry about carrying a key, I can unlock it with my phone or the keypad. And uh, it's actually been a really nice upgrade for me so much so that I'm, you know, keeping an eye on them. And as they get, you know, less expensive or one goes on sale, I think eventually I'm going to put one on the back door too. So David, I know you want to talk about cameras. I just, I I could just Uh, feel it in your bones. Well, I'm super curious about Micah's take on this. And I, uh, this has been an ongoing struggle for me. Anybody that's listened to the show, I like the idea of HomeKit. I want my stuff in HomeKit. Years and years ago, when Canary was like a Kickstarter, I kickstarted them. So I had a couple of those Canary cameras, which were nice because it was a self-contained unit with an alarm and everything in it. But it just really kind of stopped working for me. I don't know what was going on. I was paying for a subscription and the cameras would just go offline. So every time I'd go to check my cameras, they'd be offline. The other problem I had is my family has got into HomeKit. They like it. They go in the HomeKit all the time now that they can unlock the door or, you know, turn on the nice. lights, you know, so it's, it's great, but they would never go to the Canary app, you know? So I wanted to get some cameras last, uh, about a year and a half ago, I bought one of the circle Two, the Logitech circle two cameras, which are like just ridiculously expensive. It was like $180 for one camera. And they were one of the first to adopt the um, the HomeKit standard where you would uh, flash the hardware in it and you would, the firmware, and you would actually have a HomeKit camera at the end. But mm-hmm. I couldn't afford to like fill the house with those things. So I got one and it's pointing at the dog's crate now. But the um, but I've been watching Anchor's subsidiary, Eufy, E-U-F-Y. This company just kind of come out of nowhere over the last six months Mm-hmm. And they're interesting because their model is when you buy one of their cameras, they don't sell you. I mean, because the big racket and all this stuff is you buy our camera, then you give us a hundred bucks a year or some number a year and we store all your footage online. And number one, I don't want to give a hundred bucks a year to somebody. And number two, I don't really want all my home footage going online, um, <laughs> you know? Uh, so they, uh, so Yuffie's thing is you buy it from us. We sell you a base station. that has got a 16 gigabyte card in it. And you store, it stores your video for you online. And our app points at the base station. We don't even have an online server to store your stuff. So there's no ongoing cost. And um, they have, unlike the other companies that are not so incentivized to take advantage of Apple's, you know, secure video uh, service, a home secure video, because if you use that, then you're not paying them. Mm-hmm. UV actually is incentivized because it's a selling point for their cameras. And as a result, they're one of the most aggressive out of the gate to support it. And the cameras are reasonably priced. You can get an indoor camera for like 40 bucks and they make another one on a pivot where you can like control it, you know, you know, big brother style. But I bought one of those like an idiot. And as soon as I connected the home kit, home kit doesn't give me that control anymore. (laughs) So, so much for that. But the, um, but the net result is over the last several months, I've been uh, multiplying my Eufy's and we totally got off Canary now. I've got two or three of these cameras. I've got some of their wireless ones 
which are working fine. And I have, uh, and it connects to HomeKit. And I've got a couple of the indoor ones, they connect to HomeKit. And I also bought one of the um, ones that they put that replaces a light fixture. You know, you have those outdoor light fixtures. They have an LED one oh, that has you a- you got that. Yeah, and they and it's really nice, although it, it does is. not connect to HomeKit. And um, they, also have, they also have a doorbell one that's wired that, according to the internet, is going to eventually connect to HomeKit. But if you're interested in HomeKit and cameras, I think Eufy is a real option at this point. And as a result now, for about three months, I've been running Apple's HomeKit Secure Video. I've used all five of my cameras, you know, if you have Oh, the, really? Yeah, and it's it's really kind of great. Yeah, I so I like the Eufy system, and it was funny you mentioning the uh, the pan. So that is, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see an update uh, to HomeKit that offers some controls for the pan system because I've started to see more pan cameras taking to the market. Uh, for, for folks who are kind of curious about that, yeah, like it's a Big Brother style. It lets you actually mode. It's a motorized system that you can turn the camera to the left and to the right, up and down. Um, these cameras are affordable. Uh, the fact that they work with HomeKit and HomeKit Secure Video in some cases is fantastic. Um, if folks are kind of curious about what HomeKit Secure Video is, uh, this is a more recent addition to HomeKit that lets you use Apple's system to record, not only record uh, what is happening on your cameras, but do some of the uh, smart stuff that used to be relegated to uh, pay-to-play systems that some of the the platforms used. So uh, person detection, pet detection, car detection, those kinds of things where uh, it would send your footage up to the server and then the server would look at that footage, be it a live stream or uh, a packaged uh, video file and process it using AI and find when a person was detected. And then it would notify you, hey, we saw a person. Uh, with HomeKit Secure Video, it uses your home hubs and the chips that are built into your home hubs to run those processes and determine that stuff locally. So it never goes up into a cloud and, and does any of that there. So that by default is a lot more private, a lot more secure, but then it's double and a lot faster. I mean, because it's not going to the internet. Yes, exactly. Yes. There's, and more trustworthy or trusty as well, uh, because you are, you know, not relying on something somewhere else that may not be connected at, at a given period of time. Um, yes, if you have the, uh, t without an iCloud storage plan, you can stream and store video clips uh, on specific devices. But if you want to record video, uh, then you do need a 200 gigabit or gigabyte, excuse me, iCloud storage plan, that will let you use one camera with HomeKit Secure Video. If you've got the two terabyte storage plan, then as David was mentioning, you can uh, use up to five cameras. Um, this has some settings for uh, streaming and recording the video when you are home and away, which I really like. So you can say, hey, when I'm at home, I never want you to record video. I only want you to stream it uh, and give me the ability to go in and look at the footage and stream it that way. But when I'm not at home, then go ahead and also record it. Then you can set it up to only record video and it detects certain things. You can say, uh, I want only these members of the household to be able to access that streaming video or that recorded video. 
And then to go as far as to in in iOS 14, uh, there's an, there's going to be a new setting that's super cool that uses the photo library of a given user to do person detection, not just at the level of, yes, there is a person, but at the level of, I recognize this person's face from your photo library. And so I know that when Steven is home, uh, I should do X, Y, or Z, or I should let you know, send you a notification to say, you know, Steven's home now. Uh, that is granular as well. So each individual member of a uh, of a an iCloud family can and that is added to the home can give access to their photo library and the faces in their photo library if they so choose. And so it's, it's, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this feature whenever it actually takes off so that it could go as far as setting up special custom automations for certain people. So when Micah gets home, this is how you should set up the lights in the office. Uh, when Sebastian gets home, these are the lights you should turn on the living room and turn the input to Xbox or something like that. There's all kinds of stuff that's going to be able to be uh, done. And that all starts with HomeKit Secure Video. So the one thing that's a, it's a bit of a trade-off um, by using, especially with the, the um, Logitech Circle camera, by using HomeKit Secure Video, you essentially drop support for the Logitech app. Uh, you can't do a lot of the controls that are available in the Logitech app. Most of your stuff has to happen within the home app for iOS, uh, save for firmware, which can actually still that it can make a connection to do firmware upgrades on the HomeKit Secure Video track. Uh, with Eufy, the pan camera is one example of that. Um, you can still launch the Eufy camera app and do the pan stuff, but yes, you cannot do uh, some of the other detection features that are there, like baby crying and stuff like that. And you will need to uh, use the home app for that. So some trade-ons and trade-offs, but it is my opinion as a major user of all of these different kinds of devices and uh, platforms and frameworks that it is a good idea to use HomeKit Secure Video if you have it available, uh, given the privacy and security implications that are uh, a part of it. Yeah, I, I've been really happy with it. And I'm, first of all, it doesn't cost me anything extra, but also I feel much safer having Apple do this than some third party that's going to get acquired inevitably. Steven? Yeah, I've got a bunch of uh, Nest cameras. I've got uh, a handful of them. And this has been on my to-do list and to look at using something with HomeKit Secure Video for all the reasons David mentioned, right? I don't have to pay for it. I don't have to upload um, you know, something with the, uh, like with this system where I could have also some storage locally would be nice. Um, so this is something that I, I am looking at the thing that has bothered me about uh home kit and cameras and I, and I haven't tried it in iOS 14. So just take this with a grain of salt that we're in beta season is that the notifications, uh, for the camera stuff. So like nest, I could draw a box around the driveway and say, if a person steps in this box, send me a notification only if I'm not home. And some of that was not only kind of lacking in HomeKit previously, but also in my experience, at least with the Logitech circle camera, the same one David mentioned, extremely trigger happy to like a leaf yes. blew in the wind and would send me a notification. And actually my wife was like, you've got to like go back to the Nest camera because the Logitech thing is going bananas. Uh, is that still the case? Is it still kind of a uh, really happy to send you a notification? I've had that issue and I've, I've, it's, 
my belief that there's more going on there, uh, especially with some location issues, uh, because I have my my stuff set up. It's supposed to not notify me when somebody is home. And so it, it, I think it's even set up when anybody is home, do not send me notifications. So only when nobody is home, should you send me notifications. And sometimes even while I'm still at home, it will send me notifications. So I actually have a lot of those notifications uh, turned off entirely, Mm -hmm. because it was too happy about sending them. Um, So yeah, unfortunately, that's still not uh, quite where I want it. And I'm hoping that because some apps do have controls, some third party apps have controls uh, for their cameras that are sort of adjusts the sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And I think that there needs to be a sensitivity adjustment made, at least for me, I have had that issue. Definitely. And and I'm looking at Yuffie's website. Does anyone like I find this confusing. They have three different ranges of cameras, the two, the two C and then the E2. Does like anyone know the difference between those? I actually just had to, I was looking into this just the other day uh, to try and understand the difference between them. Um, so the Eufy Cam 2 was kind of their first entry on the market, and it provides 365 days of battery life. Um, so that's why it's one of the most expensive can, ones. Can, can I weigh in on that? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. All their battery life things are way optimistic as a Eufy owner. <laughs> that is just not true. You know, I mean, like I have the Eufy 2C camera, which mm-hmm. is the first ones I bought and that gets at best a month. Oh but no. One of them that I have is more like two to three weeks. So it's, you know, Oh no. <laughs> yeah, it, it is not true. And then I also just bought the two pro, which is the new one. I got one of those and that one is getting like a couple months, but uh, basically, if they say a year, you're getting a couple months, and if they say six months, you're getting a month. That's been my experience. That's awful. With them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, but that that's been true with all these cameras. Yeah, it looks like the two C has a, a light built into it, and uh-huh. the E doesn't. I think we interrupted you, uh, Micah. What about the differences? Well, so yeah, that was one of them. Um, with the with the two C, you get a light, and with the E, you don't. With the E, it is only IP sixty five certified, so it's not as waterproof. Uh, they just they call it weatherproof instead of waterproof. Um, whereas both the Uficam two and the Uficam two C, those are IP sixty seven, uh, so they're a little bit more uh, proofed against the weather. And then yeah, the 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 Uficam two E or rather E2, which this is, it's just so bad. <laughs> the, the different naming schemes, um, that's kind of the, uh, the, the option that doesn't have the same things that the Uficam 2 and 2C offer. Uh, but what's interesting too is the, the differentiation between them. They don't make super clear. And I was kind of trying to go through their support system and look at how they sort of... Uh, differentiate between them and it isn't super clear but uh the smart floodlight that's the one david that you were talking about that you recently added to your your setup yes yeah and you uh have you how does it work with everything else is it good has it been good it's great i mean i i've been except for the battery life which i kind of expected because i bought one of the wireless canary cameras and it was worse than the eufy in terms of battery life it was like days i would have it up like four or five days and have to pull it down and recharge it again um so 
I expect it maybe there's just too much activity where I'm putting these cameras. So it's triggering more often. I don't know, but I, I feel like, um, just like, you know, a lot of laptop makers are smoking something when they tell you how long the laptop battery is <laughs> going to last. I feel like the camera people do the same thing. Uh, the, so the smart floodlight to answer your question is, is great. It's, it's got the storage on board. And I believe it's eight gigs, but maybe I'm wrong, but it's literally in the unit. So I guess if a thief wanted to come to my house and not get storage, I'd have to rip the light off the wall and they would be able to do that. But the, um, but then it connects to the UV app. And like you said earlier, in addition to connecting much of their stuff to HomeKit, but not all of it, like the smart floodlight does not connect to HomeKit. Um, it simultaneously works in the UV app. So if I go into HomeKit, I've got a subset of my UV cameras. If I go into the UV app, I've got all of them. And it's a very simple user interface. It also has, you know, all the recognition. Um, with the indoor cameras, you can put a micro SD card in it and have it doing onboard storage into the camera as well. I mean, I just feel like this is a company that kind of thought about cameras the way I want to think about them. I don't want to look at it as a platform to buy your cloud service. I just want a good camera right. that I can attach to my, my various bits. And um, if you go online and research it, there, there's all these rumors about Eufy expanding a lot of these cameras all over to HomeKit. And it seems to me like a no brainer for them because all the Apple people like to buy stuff and we want the stuff to work with HomeKit and they don't really have a reason not to. So um, like the Eufy camera the pro 2 the second the, the most recent one i bought originally didn't support home kit and then one day i checked the home i checked the app and said oh yeah this is in home kit now if you want it <laughs> you know so they're getting there I, I i'm overall pretty happy with this and it didn't cost a lot of money because the cameras weren't that expensive the most i spent was on that floodlight one but that was i needed a new you know light fixture out there anyway so it's great and um where I live, there's a lot of wild animals and I put the dog out at night. I want to make sure I can really light up the yard. And so mm -hmm. it's all good. But yeah, that I, I've wasted more too much time talking about this. But uh, for the first time in the history of the show, I'm actually pretty happy with a HomeKit related camera system. That's great. Yeah, I um, I hope that the, the you know these continue to improve and i think that that's one of the benefits of these bridged systems these uh where you've got a bridge that serves as the means of communication with different devices and in some cases serves as the storage location for the devices uh because if you can make the bridge something that works with apple home kit and figure out all the communication necessities there, then it becomes easier for those actual devices to then work with, with HomeKit. So I love that, you know, I, I just connect my Hue, Philips Hue bridge to HomeKit, and then the lights that are part of that get added on. And that is how, I know we're going to talk about it soon, that's essentially how HomeBridge works as a way to, uh, it makes the bridge the HomeKit communications device and then everything that's connected to it from there as long as it can be categorized properly within HomeKit's framework then it becomes a simple way of of you know sending those commands and and issuing the necessary uh adjustments that you want to make so yeah i i see Yuffie i can I, I would gather that Yuffie is going to continue to add uh because it kind of seems like a no brainer and if they've already figured out how to hold up to the necessary requirements for uh, Apple's home kit, then 
why not go ahead and add HomeKit support to the rest of the devices? So yeah, pretty exciting. And like I said, Eufy's kind of been the one that I've been eyeballing as the go-to system for multiple cameras. And uh, the Eufy Pan one is, even though there's no HomeKit ability to control those things just yet, I hope that they'll add that soon uh, because I think that it makes for a great kind of uh, all-encompassing security camera. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Just go to squarespace.com slash MPU. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. So many of us run across ideas for websites or businesses, or we know people that are doing that. Don't let them go out there and try and make their own website. It just turns into an ugly mess. Let Squarespace handle it for you and them. Maybe you want to create an online store or a portfolio or a blog. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it all covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. I know because I've used it 24-7. They also let you quickly and easily get a domain name for your website as you're building your website. And they have award-winning templates that are beautifully designed for you to show off your great idea. One of the best things I like about Squarespace is those templates are just a starting point. If you go to my websites for maxsparky.com or SparkCSQ, I have built those on Squarespace templates, but I've made adjustments to make them look the way I want them to look. And best of all, the plan started just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com MPU. And when you decide to sign up, use that offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for the Mac power users. Once again, that's squarespace.com MPU and the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So uh, before we wrap up, let's talk about the software side of HomeKit. So we, we talked about the Home app, which is Apple's first party application. But because HomeKit is a platform, there are some third party apps that can use uh, tap into HomeKit and give you control of various things. Uh, two of my favorites are HomeCam and Home Run. Uh, these are apps that give you uh, home cam friends is, is the only universal uh, iOS app. So it's on the iPhone and iPad and the iPad is like a great like home kit camera device um, or any camera device. And it lets you have um, multiple cameras live at once. And because uh, there, there's some, so there's some limitations in home kit around cameras where only one, only one person can view them live at a time. And, uh, they don't always necessarily refresh in real time. You may get a, f- a few seconds uh, buffering here and there. And HomeCam seems to iron a lot of those issues out. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that it works on uh, Apple TV as well, uh, which I think is one of the best places to view uh, your your cameras. And iOS 14, or rather tvOS, the uh, next version, will offer some of that access, but it currently does not have that deep level access that uh, HomeCam can give you. And yeah, I've got that running on iPads and, and uh, iPhones uh, in my system for that very reason. Uh, it, it's 
a nice sort of management place. And, you know, it, it reminds me, I can't remember now who it is, but maybe it's Alton Brown who talks about uh, single use devices in the kitchen and how it's kind of like, oh, that's not a great thing to have. Uh, but when it comes to apps and in particular these HomeKit apps, these very specific, very focused apps that do one thing and therefore do it very well are helpful when it comes to the system. And yes, I can do everything that I want to do mostly in the home app for iOS. There are some times where there are specific controls and things that I can't get there and I want a more focused look. And so it's good to have these third-party apps that'll give me those tools. Now, Stephen, you added the Home Run app as well, which is made by the same developer. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that one a little bit? That's an interesting, you know, category of home app. Yeah, it it gives you basically access to your HomeKit uh, scenes and actions right on the Apple Watch. So you can have uh, it pulls up this grid of your scenes, and you can label them in Home Run. So you can use emoji and color, so it's really easy to pick them out and be able to fire off one of those scenes right from your watch. If you're going to sit down and watch a movie and your phone's, you know, plugged into the kitchen and maybe you don't have a a Siri device nearby, you can just tap on your watch and, and be on your way. Uh, They also have a complication so you can get to it quickly. Uh, But then they have, I think, I think kind of the cool part is daily routines. So you can um, use, it's kind of like what underscore is doing in Watchsmith. So you can have the uh, complications, switch context. So if I know that I'm going to be leaving home at around a certain time, the watch complication can change and be ready for that. So I can tap that complication and fire those scenes or those automations. So it's, it's a little bit uh, finicky to set up, but I think it is really cool to be able to automate that stuff just right. Like on the thing that's always with you, right? Your your watch is pretty much always on you. If you're a, a faithful Apple watch person. Yeah, I mean, that's what I like about it is if you have like every night I then I go upstairs, I want to turn off the lights in the studio. And I found myself always going to the home app and looking for the same button. And with this, I was able to make a watch complication where that just magically shows up for me every night about the time I go to bed. And that's like that's amazing, right? You know, it's like, it. you know, it's it's pretty great. One other app I want to talk about quickly because I also want to get into Homebridge, but uh, there's another app. Well, actually, there's two. Sorry. But the one that I really <laughs> want to talk about is Home Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, this app it seems to me like one of the best like third-party alternatives. It's similar to the Home app, but it's a little more programmery, I guess I would mm-hmm. say. Like they talk about power state in relation to the, the, whether it's turned off or on. You know, That's stuff you're going to see in Apple's app. But I, I really, the layout kind of jives with me better than the the actual home app does. I think that's fair. Um, it is a very in-depth app. And what I like about home plus is that it'll show me some of the controls for different apps that Apple's own home app doesn't have. Uh, an example of that is I've got the canvas lights from nano leaf, uh, in my, my living room. They, make this kind of artwork above my fireplace and it is a really cool, you know, system, but there are some controls that NanoLeaf makes available to its own app that you don't get in the home app itself. And so I can kind of 
peer in there and look at uh, what's available uh, to control, or maybe even it's, it's if, if you're just kind of nosy and you just kind of want to see what all is is available in there. So there's power, state, brightness, hue, saturation, color, but then there's also well, now I can't find it. There's uh, there were areas for uh, firmware update to sort of check if there's a firmware update. So you can f- toggle that switch and it will trigger a firmware update check automatically uh, and some other controls that you would not normally see. And those are available from within the Home Plus app. And I like that if there are controls that the app doesn't understand, you can easily send uh, a little email with those characteristics direct to the developer, and the developer can potentially add future control for those uh, individual controls. So I like that back and forth that exists there. Yeah, and I would add to that that like Apple in the last few years, one negative thing they've done with HomeKit is consolidate sensors. Like you have sensors that will give you temperature and humidity. And sometimes Apple's Home app doesn't give you all of that data, whereas the Home Plus app will always give you every bit of sensor data it can get from every connected device. I was just recently trying to set a trigger for an automation based on motion at, at my front porch, and I knew that my UV camera could detect motion, but I also historically had a motion sensor out there, and the HomeKit app would just not tell me what mm-hmm. sensor it was looking at, whereas you go into Home Plus and it tells you exactly, yeah, this is the camera sensor. That's the one I want to use, you know. Now, you talked earlier about going this the one step deeper to all this, <laughs> you know, and um, and that is with, you know, setting up Homebridge. And this is something we've talked about on the show, but we've never really gone deep on. Could you explain what it is and, and yeah. what's involved? So Homebridge kind of uh, started way back in the day, <laughs> if we could say that, when HomeKit kind of first took to the scene and it at the time did not have a lot of integrations that you could use. So you would buy a smart home thing and it didn't work with Apple HomeKit. And so you kind of weren't able to use it um, due to Apple's requirements. So what Homebridge set out to do was give you a way to connect those third-party devices that did not have HomeKit compatibility by essentially creating a virtual uh, version of a bridge, think like the the Philips Hue bridge or the Lutron Caseta bridge, and then lets you connect different devices uh, to that bridge and thereby be able to control them using the home app for iOS. You would add the home bridge bridge to your system, and then you could control those devices. Uh, developers or, or volunteers, however you want to call them, can make plugins for different systems once they kind of understand the API and, and all of those requirements. So uh, I'll give an example. I have a MyQ universal garage door opener. Um, I was talking to Steven about it a little bit earlier, and essentially it lets you, it it acts as uh, a normal garage door opening remote. Uh, It it scans for the proper code that it needs to send the close and open garage door command. And then you just keep it in your garage and then it connects to your router. And then the app that you have on your phone will connect over the internet to it and issue that command out and say, open or close the garage door. Um, The device that is required to turn it into a HomeKit enabled uh, garage door opener is a ridiculous uh, expense that should not be as much as it costs. And so I was not interested in doing that. So 
Instead, I could create a Homebridge system that lets me control my MyQ garage door opener from the Home app. Uh, Homebridge is a Node.js server. Um, there's a lot that you can kind of learn about this if you want to, but you don't, you're not required to in order to kind of get the basic setup. Essentially, you run the Node.js server on uh, a Raspberry Pi, or you can run it on a computer that you always keep on. You can run it kind of however you want to. And then you go into the special place and you find plugins for the Homebridge system to add your device. So if you buy, um, say, a, uh, a light that is not Homebridge enabled or is not HomeKit enabled, I can search for that brand on the Homebridge uh, system, find the plugin that works with it, and then type in the necessary details, and then it will show up in the Homebridge system. Um, I have mine set up. There's a, there's a site. It's called Hoobs, H-O-O-B-S dot org. And Hoobs uh, stands for HomeKit out-of-the-box system. And what's awesome about Hoobs is that if you kind of are a uh, a Homebridge noob or you're not quite sure and you don't want to work with Terminal uh, on your Mac or, or the sort of system on your, your Windows computer and you're not exactly sure what to do but you definitely want to try this out, then there are three ways to go about it. You can buy the Hoobs box, uh, which is 170 bucks. And it is kind of like a little Raspberry Pi computer, but it has Homebridge baked in and a nice UI that's all set up. So all you do is you plug it into your router, you go to hoobs.local once it's set up and you have Homebridge there. You can also buy hoobs on a micro SD. So if you already have a Raspberry Pi like I do, um, I wanted to buy this just so that I could see if I, it was something I would recommend to people who maybe don't know a whole lot about coding themselves and setting up a, a server. So I bought uh, Hoobs on a micro SD. It's like 20 bucks. And you plug it into your Raspberry Pi, you wait for it to load, and then you go to hoobs.local and it's there. Or you can just download the system and flash it onto your own SD card and then plug it into a Raspberry Pi and it'll work that way. Hoobs kind of simplifies the Homebridge system by giving you a UI that's more easy to understand, giving you a place to go in and search for uh, different plugins, and then also giving you easier control of those plugins. And once you've got that uh, system set up, then you have a way to add third-party devices to your HomeKit setup that normally would not be uh, accessible via HomeKit. Nice. How stable is it? So I ran Homebridge a few years ago, and mm -hmm. the reason I stopped was because every time I got a software update, everything would break, and I just got tired of dealing with it. How stable is it these days? So it has gotten a lot better. Um, I will say that, you know, there are, um, it, it's, you got to know a little bit about what you're doing to keep it um running, keep it up to date, keep it, you know, all the necessary bits plugged in. Uh, so it's not for the faint of heart. But if you know a little bit, it has gotten a lot better. And like I said, with Hoobs, that has simplified the process even more uh, so that it kind of takes care of those software updates in the background and tries to keep everything running as you need it to. Um, I use it. I've got a couple of plugins. Like I said, the, the garage door opener is one, but then I've also got a plugin that just tells me the temperature of the CPU uh, on my Raspberry Pi at all times. <laughs> so I can kind of see if it's running too hot. And so, yeah, I can go into my office 
um, room and see that the current temperature is 121 degrees for the CPU, uh, which is just kind of fun. It's a little fun plugin to have. Um, but it is, yeah, it's got, like I said, it's gotten a lot better. And there are some systems that I'm sure are never going to add or, you know, close to never. I would be very shocked if they did add HomeKit support. And one of those is Nest. So if you have a Nest cameras, uh, if you have a Nest thermostat or some Nest cameras, trying to uh, connect those to HomeKit in some other way is uh, not something that you're going to be able to do. So Hoobs is uh, one way to do it, or HomeBridge, if you know even how to set up your own uh, server that way, then you can use it to, to connect them. But yeah, I think that it's improved. And as long as you know what you're doing and know to make backups as necessary and know a little bit of, what is it, JSON uh, programming link or json language then you can get everything set up yeah for me i've, I've actually uh, bought myself out of this problem because about three years ago i decided anything i'm going to buy going forward is going to be HomeKit supported so i really don't have anything now i need to hook up to it but um but there's a lot of people out there that do have a lot of stuff that's not HomeKit supported and this hoobs is really a solution yeah hoobs is kind of the um more general person's thing. Uh, if you don't want to spend any money at all, then you could, uh, and, and you still kind of want the UI that Hoobs provides, you can get it, like I said, for free. You just download and you can choose to donate if you want to. Um, or you can just straight up run HomeBridge. Um, I included a link to the iMore guide that I wrote for setting up HomeBridge on your Mac. Um, so that uh, has a walk through a step-by-step process for setting up HomeBridge on its own. Um, so yeah, if you know a thing or two about coding, you're comfortable in the terminal and, uh, you have a computer that's kind of always running, then probably just straight up Homebridge would be your best bet. If you want, uh, a system that kind of does its own thing, then Hoobs is probably your way to go. And if you kind of want to just focus on Nest, then Stephen Hackett has an idea for you that kind of has a little bit of a, a secret built into it, which I think is kind of fun. Yeah, I came across the Starling Home Hub, and it's it's like this tiny little thing. It plugs into your network over Ethernet, and it will bridge Nest stuff to HomeKit. So I can have my Nest cameras and my Nest thermostat and even my Nest Guard, like their security system. Uh, I can have all of that in HomeKit, which means I can automate it and do some other things. So uh, I set one of those up a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, and it has been uh, pretty solid for me. Awesome. But what's the secret? What's the secret inside of it? Now I'm nervous. Uh, no, the, the secret is just that um, the Starling Home Hub actually is the brainchild of a uh, developer slash volunteer for Homebridge. So Homebridge came out first and there was a plugin for Homebridge for Nest devices. And that ended up being one of the most popular go figure uh, yeah. plugins for homebridge and the developer realized that hey homebridge is kind of complicated on its own you know hoobs is a whole separate thing homebridge is kind of complicated on its own and there's a lot of people that just want to add their nest devices so i can make this easier by giving them a little device that essentially serves as a bridge that they can plug into their router and connect their nest devices to homekit and so that developer made the Starling Home Hub available. Uh, so you can buy that on its own and kind of set it and forget it sort of system. But anyone who has the Homebridge uh, 
server or the Hoobs system on their device uh, or set up in their home can get that same functionality that the Star- Starling Home Hub offers by installing the Nest plugin that's available for Homebridge uh, made by the same developer. So yeah, you can get it regardless of which way you go. Um, but as I always say, a, a focused device, especially when it comes to this home stuff, is always going to be better than something that's trying to do a bunch of things. If it's doing the most, then it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be doing the best at all of those things. Uh, jack of all trades, master of none, et cetera, et cetera. Micah, we ran along today because you had so much great information. Thank you for sharing it all with us. Thank you for having me. You know, it's kind of interesting. You don't realize how much is rolling around in your noggin until people start to ask you questions. And then you go, oh my, I guess I, I do remember that. Or I do know that. So this has been super fun for me as well. We're going to, ha- we had to throw some portions of the outline overboard because we don't want to make a three hour show and get everybody mad at us, but <laughs> we're going to have you back. I mean, you're, you're regular now, so we're going to get oh. back and talk to you. Uh, after iOS 14 ships, I definitely want to talk about automation with all this stuff because we didn't even get there, but um, uh, automation is both great and can be nerve wracking when you've got other people in your house. It reminds yes. me of the Jean, reminds me of the Jean Paul Sartre quote, hell is other people, but the, um, <laughs> It is nonetheless true with automation and HomeKit, but uh, my wife and I, we love each other very much, but she does get angry with me over HomeKit. (laughs) I can only imagine. Yeah. The patience that can sometimes be required there. But you know, you honestly uh, impressed me when you said that people in your house are launching the home app and and going around inside and figuring it out. That's awesome. Yeah. She she wanted to know why the doorway light went on at 3 a.m. last night. And I'm just like, (laughs) You don't need to know. I'm making a <laughs> podcast tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Anyway, we're going to talk about that. iOS 14 brings some cool stuff to bear in the, a lot of these automation apps. So I think we'll either have you back or we'll do it. We'll, we'll get we'll get that covered, guys. So just hang in there. But I really do appreciate you coming in. I, for one, am so happy with HomeKit at a kind of at a base level. I mean, when I look back, I used to do the, um, what was it that the... Um, Xserve, I forget what they were called. I used to buy the things where you plug them into the wall. And I've I've tried all the home automation stuff over the years. And now we are just so spoiled. I, I have to mm-hmm. take eye drops at night for a medical thing. And I can just turn the lights off with my drops in my eyes, my eyes closed. I mean, it's just, you know, just stuff, little things like that all day. Or the fact that you can scream out music and it starts playing it for you. <laughs> or if I can get the Eufy face recognition to work when I walk in the front door, it's going to start playing Duel of the Fates through my HomePod. <laughs> I mean, that is that is all something I can do now. And, uh, and good on Apple. This is like the good thing Apple does where they start something and they, they just keep digging away at it every year. And before you know it, they've got a pretty big hole and they've and this is really great for home kit i guess you just said build up into a building i shouldn't have gone into a hole with this but there you <laughs> yes, have yes we're going out yeah. <laughs> all right so we are the mac power users you can find us over at relay.fm slash mpu micah where do people find you uh you can head to chihuahua.coffee that's c-h-i-h-u-a-h-u-a.coffee where there are links to all the places i exist online uh, we have to talk offline. I am on Team Labradoodle, so we're gonna we're gonna have to discuss this. Uh, but the uh, either way, thank you to our sponsors: Sanebox, Red Sweater Software, and Squarespace. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>